0: Hi, this is Ben Thompson, the author and founder of Stratechery. Welcome to the Stratechery Daily Update podcast, where I read you the daily update. You can also read the text of the daily update or find the links I reference by visiting the show notes in your podcast player. Now, here is today's daily update. This daily update about Zoom follow-up, Twitter unmasking follow-up, and TSMC and Huawei Was published on Wednesday, April 1st, 2020. Good morning. I've received a comment or two from readers mentioning that they didn't know they were subscribing to an epidemiology newsletter. I know most of these were in jest, but I would note that, one, I've been writing about the question of social networks, misinformation, and expertise for years now, and two, the reality of tech is that nearly every major news story is, by definition, a tech story. Nearly. I have no comments on oil. On to the update. Zoom follow-up. This is a fair point from Alex Stamos about login with Facebook buttons.
1: I totally disagree. This is privacy theater with no attachment to real risk. The number one source of actually impactful data theft is the reuse of credentials. Those three companies provide you with decent MFA options and perform risk-based authentication as a last resort.
0: For the record, I completely agree in principle, but I have two specific objections to Zoom in this regard. First, this is an enterprise app, not a consumer app. There is no role for Facebook here. Facebook Workplace has distinct data from Facebook, but this isn't a Facebook Workplace login, which I don't believe exists. The Google button can use a personal account, but is also used for G Suite accounts, which treat data differently. Second, though, the real reason why I felt compelled to be so harsh was the Zoom blog post, which claimed ignorance about the fact that Facebook used data from the app. The point, in other words is not the use of third-party logins, which I agree are on balance safer, but rather the neglect of even the most cursory review of privacy and security that suggested a problem with Zoom's overall approach to serving the enterprise. That has only been confirmed over the last 24 hours, as security researchers have started picking over the app. The service claims it is end-to-end encrypted, but it is not. Which, by the way, is acceptable. Encrypting video while being performant is very difficult. It's the dishonesty that is the issue. The installer imitates system dialogues in order to gain root privileges. In the absence of identity services, Zoom connects everyone with the same domain name. There will likely be more, although in Zoom's defense, other stories like Zoom bombings are more about the tool being used in ways and places it was never intended to be, and can be avoided. To that end, I would get even more specific in my recommendations for Zoom, because the company doesn't simply need to grow up, they need to do it immediately. I would suggest CEO Eric Yuan write a memo similar to Bill Gates' famous trustworthy computing memo. First, emphasize that Zoom is becoming essential infrastructure and that the company's priority needs to shift from growth at all costs to security and privacy. Second, freeze feature development and spend the next 30 days on a top-to-bottom review of Zoom's approach to security and privacy, followed by an update on how the company is reallocating resources based on that review. Third, Promise weekly updates detailing Zoom's progress, including bugs discovered and fixed, and announcements of partnerships with third parties for security reviews, and stick to it. I know this is a lot of attention to pay to one company in a week where there is so much going on, but I really think this is critical. So many of Zoom's poor decisions were about prioritizing growth over security. This crisis, though, more than takes care of growth. It's up to Zoom to seize the opportunity to prioritize security in a transparent and verifiable way at a time when all of their customers want them to succeed. But it's worth remembering, the ones willing to pay are far more likely to care about security. Twitter unmasking follow-up. Yesterday, China for the first time officially admitted that there are asymptomatic infections of the coronavirus. The announcement from the National Health Commission is in Chinese, but notes, First, there are asymptomatic patients that never develop symptoms and some that develop them later. Second, asymptomatic patients and their close contacts should be centrally quarantined, I not at home. This was a key tactic in stopping the spread in Wuhan. Three, the viral load in respiratory samples from asymptomatic infections was not significantly different from symptomatic infections. Their recommendations, beyond central quarantining patients and close contacts, hand washing, social distancing, and wearing masks. Second, I have one additional question about Twitter's COVID-19 content policy. Are the drumbeat of tweets from Chinese diplomats blaming the U.S. military for the coronavirus a violation? In case you are not familiar, Reuters had a story yesterday that provided an overview.
1: Over the past year, more than 60 Chinese diplomats and diplomatic missions set up Twitter or Facebook accounts by Reuters count, even though both platforms are banned in China, often using them to attack Beijing's critics around the world. Zhao this month promoted a conspiracy theory on his personal Twitter account that the U.S. military brought the coronavirus to the central Chinese city of Wuhan, where the outbreak began late last year.
0: This theory was repeated by multiple ambassadors around the world, as well as Chinese media, and anecdotal evidence from trusted sources suggests it is widely believed in China.
1: The Twitter aggression is aimed not only at Washington. In Brazil, Chinese ambassador Yang Meng Wing shared a tweet, later deleted, calling the family of President Jair Bolsonaro, quote, poison, end quote, after his son blamed the, quote, Chinese dictatorship, end quote, for the coronavirus pandemic. China's embassy in Peru blasted Nobel laureate Mario Vargas Llosa for, quote, irresponsible, end quote, comments, after the 83-year-old said the virus had, quote, originated in China, end quote. And the Chinese embassy in Singapore went after a former Singaporean diplomat, Billahari Kosikin, after he linked the virus outbreak in China's political system. The article was, quote, smearing China's political system and the leadership system, end quote. It said,
0: Bill Bishop noted in Sinocism,
1: it is impressive how skillfully China uses information decoupling and platform asymmetry to push its propaganda agendas. The... Quote, wolf warrior, end quote, diplomats and propaganda organs are making their case globally on American platforms like Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. CCP outlets like CGTN, CCTV, CRI, People's Daily, and China Daily are allowed to broadcast and distribute inside the US and other countries and WeChat is integral to the information consumption of the global Chinese-speaking diaspora. Meanwhile, Foreign media are effectively blocked from broadcasting or publishing inside China and from disseminating information on Chinese social media like Weibo and WeChat. PRC officials constantly talk about the dangers of decoupling, but at least when it comes to information, they are aggressively and successfully pursuing a very comprehensive agenda of information decoupling in which they control the messaging for the domestic audiences while spreading unfettered their messaging globally.
0: The internet is a two way street. TSMC in Huawei. The China topic is not going away. This story from last week is a very big deal as well. From the Wall Street Journal.
1: The Trump administration is moving ahead with new restrictions aimed at cutting off Chinese telecom equipment maker Huawei Technologies from one of its main suppliers of advanced semiconductors, according to people familiar with the situation. Specifically, the rule would require an export license for many chips shipped to Huawei that are produced by US designed chipmaking tools. That would give the Commerce Department the ability to block the sale of semiconductors manufactured by Taiwan's Semiconductor Manufacturing Co. for Huawei's high-silicon unit, which designs chips for the company. The restrictions would also disadvantage U.S. companies that produce a semiconductor manufacturing equipment used by TSMC, the world's largest contract chip maker. The semiconductor industry has waged a months-long campaign against the anti-Huawei rules, arguing that the chips being sold don't pose national security concerns and would undermine U.S. companies' ability to compete with foreign firms.
0: Start with the second point. Huawei, despite being mostly banned from buying U.S. components, is still very much dependent on the U.S. from the Financial Times.
1: Huawei is still using components made by U.S. companies in its newest flagship smartphone, a Financial Times teardown has found, despite the U.S. all but blacklisting the Chinese telecoms equipment manufacturer. The P40's radio frequency front-end modules were, according to XYZone's teardown analysis, produced by Qualcomm, Skyworks, and Corvo, three U.S. chip companies. RF front-end modules are critical parts of the phone that are attached to the antennas and required to make calls and connect to the internet. The Qualcomm component is covered by a license from the U.S. Commerce Department, according to a person familiar with the company. Corvo and Skyworks did not respond to requests for comment. The rest of the chips come from China, South Korea, and Taiwan,
0: including the main processor. Huawei designs its own system on a chip, but it is basically a derivative of ARM standard design. What matters most is that it is made on TSMC's industry-leading 7 nanometer process. Being cut off from TSMC would severely hamper Huawei's smartphones. Although the larger processes that Chinese fabs can produce are likely sufficient for Huawei's networking gear. There are also knock-on effects. Apple, for example could end up paying less overtime as demand for 7 nanometer and later 5 nanometer is reduced. This could also decrease TSMC's willingness to spend aggressively on new processes. And, of course, there are geopolitical concerns to China not being able to benefit from Taiwanese manufacturing. The broader issue, though, is the sobering one I mentioned at the beginning. Coverage of tech is increasingly indistinguishable from coverage of geopolitical concerns, or, for that matter, epidemiological ones. Tech has not so much changed the world as it has become the world, something even more profound than its most ambitious advocates ever imagined. The daily update is intended for a single recipient, but occasional forwarding is totally fine. If you would like to order multiple subscriptions for your team with a group discount, please contact me directly. Thanks for being a subscriber, and have a great day.